A story is told about the aged Apostle John heading to one of the local bathhouses near the end of the first century. As he descended into the water through the steam, he saw the face of a man he knew well. It was the face of a man who had done untold damage to the truth of the gospel, who, it is said, may have been one of the false teachers addressed by John's letters in the New Testament and even possibly the head of the spurious Judaizers in Acts 15. As soon as John's eyes focused on the face of this man, he immediately ran out of the bathhouse, yelling loudly for everyone to hear, let us fly, lest even the bathhouse fall down, because the enemy of truth is inside. The man's name? Serenthus. What in the world could Serenthus teach which would elicit such a response from John the apostle of love. Serenthus was one of the main proponents of an old heresy known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism came in various forms, but its central idea was the special knowledge or gnosis that was offered by the teachers of this select group. The main body of knowledge that they were given was the belief that the material world was inherently evil and the spiritual realm was inherently good that the Supreme God wasn't the one known in Scripture for he couldn't in any way be connected to the creation of the material world and be perfectly good, but was rather an echo or a demiurge of the one true God. Of course, this had grand implications for the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ as well. If the material world was inherently evil, then so was the body and the flesh of humanity, and therefore the true Son of God couldn't have actually come in the flesh as the Incarnation, and particularly John, taught. This had profound ramifications for a host of different teachings within the Church, not the least of which was the Atonement and the Resurrection, and was viewed as a corrosive and dangerous heresy which the Church fought valiantly against within the first couple of centuries. But old heresies die hard. Sadly, Gnosticism remains within the Church today in various forms raising its head from time to time and how we talk about the material world, the body, and even our resurrection. If we hope to reclaim a doctrine which has dominion over all of life, then we must once again reestablish our commitment to the doctrine of the goodness of the material world and the part it plays within God's purpose. Welcome once again to Who Let the Dogma Out, where doctrine has dominion over all of life. I am back in the saddle once again after missing last week and happy to be here with my good friends, Daniel Mayfield, Jack Wilkie. Good to good to be back with you guys. How's everybody doing? Doing good. We uh, somehow managed, but uh, not quite the same with two men instead of three. So uh, we're good to have you back here. I know. You have to scramble it's like, hey, normally there's somebody to fill in if I don't have something good to say. Exactly. I can't zone out. So, uh, it's, it's, no. <laughs> well, I, I will say this. I, I, I listened to the episode while I was working out this morning, and oh, I thought gosh. you guys did a great job. I thought you did an excellent job. It, it really it really uh, pumped me up. You know, it got me going in the morning, made me, made me get an extra rep. I was like, doctrine, you know, <laughs> on that uh, last rep there. Yeah. So, no, so no I had a good workout this morning. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People were wondering why I was yelling out heresy every time I came up on my uh, on my 
my shoulder rep, <laughs> nice. but, uh, you know, but I've got, I got a good workout this morning in, got creatine pumping through the veins. So I'm ready to go, man. So it sounds like you prepared for the Gnosticism episode a little better than I did. I decided, look, if we're going to be talking about Gnosticism, I better go get Taco Bell one last time <laughs> because after this talk, I might feel too guilty about it. There you go. Well, I did say there were grand implications to believing in Gnosticism, and one of them is eating copious amounts of Taco Bell without any guilt. That's so, exactly right. Yeah. So yeah. a good a good theology <laughs> is going to get rid of the Chihuahua is what you're saying. Sad but true. Sad but true. Uh, I like my Taco Bell every once in a while. <laughs> right. Well, but, but, so I mean – what happened to the Chihuahua? He's- I think he became politically incorrect. Oh, <laughs> so- <laughs> I was going to say, I just I remember that study a few years ago where they said their meat isn't really beef. So no, that's a little dark. That's a little dark. Let's go a different direction now. So uh, Gnosticism back on track. here. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, with your intro, I mean, it's it's something that's very real is a lot of Christians think the body doesn't matter. I, and you'll hear them say, well, it's all going to burn. This 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 world is not our home, we, which we've talked about a little bit before. Um, it, it It is weird that you kind of look at, no, the Bible is very strongly in the opposite direction. But I've had people say, God doesn't care about the physical. The physical's bad. The spiritual is what matters. We're going to be spirit for all of eternity. And so... It uh, you know anything in the physical world is just temporary to be used for a little while. Not much, not really much importance to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is really strange because again, a lot of these episodes are tied together. And that's intentional, but obviously within the Old Testament, you don't find that type of doctrine. Um, you have within the New Testament pretty early on an infusion between Greek philosophy and Christianity. Uh, Platonism greatly impacted. Uh, Christianity for a few centuries and in some ways still does today. And one of the ideas within Plato was that, you know, there is a very real spiritual realm and the physical realm, the material realm is simply a reflection of that. There's kind of copies, um, which the Hebrews writer kind of gets into that. He does lean into that a little bit, uh, actually, within the book of Hebrews. But Plato's view was uh, essentially the material was was less than the spiritual. And for example, when it came down to I'm just summarizing this and not meaning to misrepresent Plato, but essentially the soul or the spirit was entombed within the body. And so the body was not a necessary or essential part of our nature, but rather something that was preventing us from ultimate reality within the spirit. So the body was viewed kind of as an anchor for the soul that, and it needed to be released from that anchor within death. Uh, And I think that you still see some of that thinking Within the church today, for example, whenever Christians die, I've heard very well-meaning Christians, even elders, get up afterwards and say, well, Lord, we know that they have attained their spiritual body. Now, within the New Testament, the spiritual body is only obtained within the resurrection, and yet they view the person dying and going into bar- their spirit going into paradise as them obtaining their inheritance within the spiritual body. That's Neoplatonism, really. Uh, now, they wouldn't call it that, but that's what they have been taught through the years, and so that you know that kind of degradation of the body or at least not now, and and we'll come back to this later but of course the the bible does of course emphasize the soul of man as as priority but it doesn't de-emphasize the importance of the body you know i mean paul talks about you know bodily exercise is a value but godliness is of exer- uh, of a value for this life and the life to come so there is an emphasis on the soul of man 
But the reason is, is because the soul and the spirit of man through Christ is redeemed and the present body prior to the resurrection is unredeemed, but it one day will be. All right, I'm going to raise yeah. the objection that might come out of this because I, I think what we're drawing on goes back to Genesis of God looks at the creation, which is the physical world and says, this is very good, especially with man uh, reaching its pinnacle, um, you know, all of that. It's very good. And then you have... In the New Testament, it multiple times it uses the term flesh and blood. First Corinthians 15, flesh and blood will not enter the kingdom, or you know, flesh and blood won't inherit these th- inherit these things. And so that will be the verse somebody might shoot back with and say, flesh and blood doesn't matter. I don't think that means what we think it means, but I'm going to put it to you guys. Uh, why does that not mean that the physical body, the physical world is useless? Well, is, think about what Jesus... <clears throat> remember when Jesus was talking about the kingdom and... You know, he said that the violent take it by force and there there have been those always who have tried to force their way in by keeping of rules by their own prowess by their own ability and the means to our atonement the means to our salvation is not flesh and blood it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be some kind of flesh on the other side if you look at Romans 8, when Paul's talking about the total work of the spirit, like on the broad arc of history, he says that, you know, his first aspect, the first work of the spirit is to redeem and make alive the inner man. But then he says, but the spirit will also give life at a future point to your mortal bodies. And it, you know, it, it, it does go back to, to, to me, I, I wonder if, um, there's a misunderstanding back there at the beginning of Genesis, you know, when God says, let's make man in our image. And um, do you think that we, that we assume that that's always totally just the spiritual? Oh, absolutely. Which I don't think that you can substantiate that. I mean, not within the cultural context, the idea of the image is is idle language right i mean you know when god says make no other image uh you know other than uh to rep even to represent me right well why is that because god's already created his own image he has given us his image there's a reason that the human form is unique from other forms absolutely unique from anything within the animal world um so there is something even about the body that declares something about the form of god now god is not physical god is spirit um but there is something about the human form that represents the glory of God, not just the intellectual part of it. I, I want to come back to the flesh and blood because I think that's a big one that Jack brings up. Because flesh and blood at times within scripture is in reference to the physical body. But generally speaking, it, t- it takes on a, a much more general idea than what than just, okay, well, this body is physical is bad, spiritual is good. Whenever it's referring to the flesh or the flesh and the blood, it's talking about the unredeemed human nature or that which comes naturally to sinful man, that which is born apart from the promises of God. So, for example, even in Galatians chapter 4, around verse 29, whenever Paul is talking about um, Isaac and Ishmael, he says one son was born of the flesh, the other was born of the spirit. Okay, now what does he mean by that? Does he mean that, that Isaac was a spirit? No, he's Isaac was according to the promise, right? Yeah. He was of God. He was according to the promises of God, but Ishmael was after the flesh. Well, what does he mean by that? That was Abraham, 
taking it upon himself to try and naturally push God's covenant promises in the direction he wanted to go by sleeping with Hagar. So he was born of the flesh. He was born after the purposes and the intentions of man. And so you see this, for example, in James chapter three, when he's talking about the wisdom that comes from below, he said, it's devoid of the spirit. It is not in accordance with the revelation and the will of God and the spirit of God. Now, whenever we're talking about flesh and blood, we are talking about what Daniel was talking about a moment ago, the unredeemed human nature, the corrupt human nature um, that cannot stand in the presence of God because it has to be transformed. Philippians chapter three and verse 21, it has to be changed uh, in order. It has to be more clothes, if you will, have to be put upon it. That's what Paul says in Second uh, Corinthians five. Um and so there has to be this change and transformation within the resurrection. But the reality is, if the body, and this is what some of these implications are, you know, if the body is not involved, our present body, if our present body is not somehow involved in the resurrection, then it's not a resurrection. Right. Okay. Resurrection means resurrection. Okay. So the body has to play a part. Okay. The, the, the seed that is planted, Paul says, is the seed that sprouts up. Right. You, so, get, this weird, you get this weird thing where – because I've taught on this about – you know on I think we, we have a misunderstood view of what heaven's going to be. You know, We're, we're not going to be mm-hmm. an invisible spirit floating in an invisible place you know, on a cloud playing a harp for all eternity. There, there's – the indication you get is that it's going to be a a place that, you know, maybe this isn't the right word, but a physical place, a place where we're going to be able to put our feet on the ground and there's going to be gravity and there's going to be food to eat and, and all kinds of things like that. And I've taught about this and, and the pushback you get is when no, exactly what Jack was pointing out a minute ago, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're just going to be a spirit, but then you push back and say, well, do you believe that we're going to be resurrected? Well, yeah. Okay. So what's God going to, so he's going to resurrect your body. Correct. And then what he, the moment he resurrects it, he's just going to like, what? It's he's going to turn it into spirit. It's going to disappear. That's, that's and, what I've heard. And it, right. It's going to be, so he's going to resurrect your body from the grave. He's going to gather up those atoms and he's going to form it into life again, like he did with Adam. And then he's going to take you to a place where all of a sudden that flesh is just going to be obliterated. It just doesn't even make any sense. I think when Philippians Jesus 3 was well, and very I was, uh, informative on this because Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think people, the very spiritual side, will look like, yeah, our citizenship's in heaven. It's not of this earth. It's not. But then the next verse says, who will transform the body of our humble state, which is our physical weak body right now, into conformity with the body of his glory. Well, what's the body of Jesus' glory? That's the beauty of Jesus didn't just raise from the grave and go straight up. He was, right. he, he walked around. He right. ate, it seems, you know, fished with the disciples. But he also, I, I mean, it, it's it's pretty fascinating to me. He teleports a couple times, right? I mean, just, <laughs> right. you know, and so it's very clearly an elevated, different, better body. Doesn't have the weaknesses, doesn't. You know, it, it's it's the ultimate consummation of what the body is to become. And he right. says he's going to conform yes. our humble bodies into that. Well, the other thing is, and this is part of the Gnostic heresy we're talking about, and, and what John is hammering in First John, and why he starts off saying what we've seen, what we've touched, what we've, you know, beheld, that, that he was mm-hmm. real in the body. Jesus right. didn't come out of the grave a ghost 
and there was a bunch of ghost sightings because that's pretty hopeless. And I think that's one point I want to make before I pass it back over. It is your reading of the Ark of the Bible, the the story of the Bible. Is it God made everything good, man sinned, and a curse was brought on the ground, was brought on the flesh, death, all those things that entered because of sin. And God's answer to that is to give in to the curse and get us off of a sinking ship. Right. Or is it to say, I'm going to undo all of the bad things of the curse. And when you see Jesus walking around after the resurrection, which is the promise of the kind of bodies we're going to have, it's right. a body that doesn't have the effects of the curse anymore. Doesn't have, you know, a body that mm -hmm. has transcended the limitations of this life. And so right. it, it, I think it misreads the entire Bible to say that God basically went, okay, Satan, you win. Bodies aren't good anymore. We're just going to get them out of there. All of the things Jesus yeah. did on his earthly ministry for those three years was a foretaste. All of, you know, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the healing of leprosy, the, you know, the, the giving of sight to the blind. All of these are a foretaste of the power Jesus has over the body. They're pointing the kingdom forward of God to, has come upon you, right? They're, they're pointing forward to something. And you really see that explicated in Romans eight, when Paul says, look, the creation itself, like not just, not just us. He says, we ourselves are, are groaning, but even the creation itself is groaning and it is longing for the revealing of the sons of God, which, which is the revealing of the sons of God, according to the context is when we're going to be redeemed from this uh, from this curse. The creation itself is longing for it. So that to me, that if if you detach, if you say that the earth and and all that's in it and everything is just going to be obliterated and destroyed and has no purpose beyond, then what's it waiting for and what is it hoping for and why is it longing to be set free from its bondage to corruption? Everything points. Well, I want to come. No, go ahead. Yeah, and and I want to come back to the idea of the physicality of the future world. I, I think maybe it's even more helpful to think of it in terms of uh, supra-physical or supernatural. So right now we have the natural realm, uh, but but we have to, it will be changed into something beyond that. It, it not, it, there's a, so there's a, there's a continuity with the present life, but there's also a discontinuity. So you, you see that in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, you know, what is sown is not the body that will be. So that's the discontinuity. But then right. he says the body that is sown is also the body that is raised. That's the continuity. Well, what's the what's the discontinuity? Well, the discontinuity is it's going to be powerful, incorruptible, glorious, right? right, it, right. It's going to be so much better than what we have now. So that I usually refer to it as it's going to be a supernatural world. It's going to be a supra-physical world. It's going to be some type of new existence that, honors and recognizes what was, but adds on to and extends beyond that. And it doesn't do a, do away completely with what was, because then there would be no continuity. And there seems to be continuity within the New Testament. And I think that's where he talks about the Philippians 3 passage, transforming our lowly body to be like, like our glorious body. And I think that, you know, if... The, the fact that Jesus was raised bodily from the grave tells us about God's purpose for creation and for the world. If it was only about our spirits and our souls, why didn't he just become a ghost? Why didn't he just become a spirit and say, hey, guys, I just want to let you know it might look like I'm dead physically, but I'm actually alive spiritually. 
And if you live your life, your spirit gets to go with me to heaven. Now, of course, we realize that our spirits going to heaven at the point of death is an important doctrine. And that's true. And that's a blessed hope. Right. But that's but, not our final hope. Our, that's not our final hope. Our final hope is within the resurrection and within the new heavens and the new earth. And so the, our final hope is when our bodies are redeemed and given a spiritual body and spiritual means of the spirit, governed by the spirit, empowered by the spirit of God. And this is one of the things where you got to think through the implications because, as you're saying, if there isn't really a resurrection, a bodily resurrection, what are we waiting for on the last day? Because if, as Paul says in Philippians 1, you die and you go be with Christ, and that's what it's going to be for all of eternity, why do we need a judgment day? Because that's it's already exactly. sorted, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's not something that you're waiting on. And right. where if there is a bodily resurrection, there is something you're waiting on. There is that, that final day that you can be with him in spirit, but you're not going to remain that way. You're going to you know, be resurrected, and, and then that's kind of the eternal fulfillment of all things and, and everything that you're looking forward to. Whereas if you're already sorted into... You know that well. Okay, the the Abraham and or the uh, Abraham's bosom, rich man and Lazarus thing. If you're sorted into that, and it's just going to remain that for all of eternity, you don't need a judgment day. Uh, you don't a great, need a, a, yes. a final day. A ret- you don't need the return of Christ, essentially. And so, that's a great point. You, you again, the implications of I think a lot of people buy the first thing, but don't follow it out to its logical end. Well, the picture you get in so Jesus told the thief on the cross. This day you will be with me in paradise. So he was he is going to go to paradise, but where was his body going to go? His body was going to go into the grave, which means that even though like when we die, the moment that we die, we we are brought to a place of peace and a place of rest and it's a place of waiting. Carried by angels. Right, right, but it but it is not the final hope. So even those that are dead right now in Jesus Christ, they have not realized the final hope. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus must reign until every enemy has been put under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So mm-hmm. those that have not yet resurrected, I mean, you can go visit your uh, your grandma and your grandpa at, at the graveside. You can visit a loved one at the graveside because they're still there. And that is a constant reminder that the final enemy had now the deciding of the enemy to be destroyed has been done, but, but the conquering of it hasn't taken place yet, or the, the end of it hasn't transpired. The yet. final blow. Yeah. The, the, the right. knockout punch, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and until that happens. So even those that are right now in paradise, and I really think this is a misconception. We, we don't realize they're not in the final state. People that are dead right now are not living in the place that God has prepared for us to live for all eternity. They're in a waiting place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's implications, and I think we're going to talk about some of these implications, even for how the church presently views the body, right? And and I'm guilty of this. Like, listen, like I was thinking about this other day, the other day. Most of my life, and maybe Jack, you can relate to this as well. I don't think Daniel's much because I think he was taught some of this earlier on, but Most of my life, I was not really aware or concerned at all about how I was treating my body. Um, I didn't think it really mattered. So I ate what I want. I did what I want. You know, Um, I consumed what I wanted. I didn't exercise. Um, and, and, And without realizing it, what I kind of came to a conclusion was uh, several years, a few years ago, was that um, I didn't really view 
this is going to sound so strange, but I didn't view my body as a part of me. It wasn't really a part of my identity. It was like, oh, well, it's my spirit. That's me. Right, right, right. You're a soul that has a body. Okay. You're not a, a, you know, that, that quote. Which C.S. Lewis uh, did not say, I'm going to defend his honor. C.S. Lewis never said it, but everyone says he says that you're not a a body with a soul. You're a soul that has a body. Yeah, it's wrong, and he didn't say that. Well, in the context for for even where that quote comes from is out of context. But but that that idea is deeply embedded with some of the most cherished Church of Christ evangelistic tools, by the way. I'm going to get pegged for this, but um, if you go... And listen to the Jewel Miller film strips. The very first one talks about how essentially Platonism, you know, the body is just a, uh, you know, uh, essentially, I forget the word that he uses there, but essentially the idea it's the body doesn't really matter. It's just the the it's way by which we interact with the present world. And it is a tent in the sense of it's temporal in relationship to the future body. Okay. Right. But it's not a tent in the sense of we're going to shed the tent and then move on to a completely spiritual existence. But going back to the implications of it, I don't think that like, you know, if I get ripped, that's going to be recognized within the resurrection. But I do think what I believe, whether or not body, the body plays a part in the resurrection is going to influence how I presently steward what God has given me. Um, Now, who's to say, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work out within the resurrection, but I have a really big issue with some of these preachers over the years that are so inconsistent to me when it comes to, for example, talking about alcohol consumption or, you know, tobacco consumption. Uh, and yet they, they weigh four or 500 pounds, you know, I mean, I'm just calling it as I see it because I have struggled with my weight as I've been, I've been obese. I literally, that's, that's what you look up when I was starting my health journey, I was obese. Right. And, um, you know, but yet I would never talk about food consumption or my responsibility to steward my body. And I, that just seems like hypocrisy to me. If you're going to, I mean, at least be consistent, you know, if you're going to call out some unhealthy habits, then call out the other unhealthy habits that you yourself struggle with. And I think some of that is directly related to like, well, it doesn't matter how I treat the body. But then again, on other aspects, we don't act like that. We, we act like, well, no, the body does matter because we get into discussions of tattoos and stuff like that. Um, so it's kind of this confusing inconsistency. Am I making any sense yeah, here? Well, because I think the Gnostics, the Gnostics like chase that out to its logical end too, because some of them just said, you're right. It doesn't matter. Let's go have sex with whoever we want. Like that, that opened the door right. for some of those heresies. And so you're kind of what you're saying, like gluttony, who cares? This, this body's going to burn. And so if I die at, you know, 52 of a heart attack because I didn't take care of myself, that God doesn't care about that. And then I get to go be with him. And, and so, yeah, it, it has real world consequences. Like you said, there is a hypocrisy where we talk about the body matters for this, but not for that sexual sins. Yeah. The body, you're not, not to be violated. The other stuff, God doesn't care about that because it doesn't matter. Either it does or it doesn't, and so we need to be consistent across the board. I'm going to take it one more direction. I think Daniel had something to say before I throw this other wrench in there. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I, before the before the episode today, I planned on I planned on bringing up exactly what you mentioned about tobacco, just smoking cigarettes, because what you'll always hear. I mean, we we are not afraid to say the body is the temple of the Lord, so you shouldn't smoke a cigarette. Okay. Well, a cigarette's not making you high right? It's not, it's not changing your mental state. 
what's the reason why we would say that you shouldn't do it because your body's a temple of the Lord? We say, well, it's because it's 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 shown that it's it pr- produces lung cancer or it produces mouth cancer or throat cancer or whatever. Okay. So in that sense, I mean, you're exactly right. There's a complete inconsistency because we also know, I mean, go do, go do some research on what a Coca-Cola does to your body. It's like, it's horrible. Put anything in a Coke and just set it overnight. And we're, the body of, uh, the body is not a temple of the Lord when it comes to our diet. It's only when we see someone else doing something that we don't particularly like and that we don't have a problem with at all. And it's easy to say the body's the temple of the Lord. You better stop that or you're going to go to hell. And I think this is an important point to bring out that there is a major inconsistency. Absolutely. Well, I, real quickly before Jack goes off on this next point, you talked about the, the Gnostics and how they would tend towards hedonism. You know, and that was one of the branches of the implications of the doctrine. The body doesn't matter, so therefore I can give it whatever pleasure it so desires, and it's not going to impact the spirit because I'm just giving the body what it's naturally going to do anyways, what it's naturally desiring. So that doesn't really impact the spirit. But there was another branch of Gnosticism that went to the opposite side, which was asceticism, which is the body is evil, and therefore pleasure, bodily pleasures are evil, and I don't need to give into those bodily pleasures. And some of that has impacted the church as well. You know, this idea of just any type of pleasures that are physical or enjoyed, they shouldn't be experienced, even to the point of sexual fulfillment, right? Within right. within marriage, of course. You, you know, where it's like Christmas, this, you know. Or you can yeah. do it to make or you can do it yeah. to make a baby. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea of like, you know, sexual pleasure shouldn't be discussed or and, and you know, you have in you had a whole generation that in some ways was impacted by that. And they almost, they have this guilt for having sex with their husband or having sex with their wife. And it's like, uh, from the very beginning, God says, man, do it as much as you want, you know, within the confines of marriage, because this is a blessing that I've given to you. And this is something that you should enjoy. And so I I think that it's interesting to me that both springs you know, come from this headwaters of Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to either side. It's not a, well, okay, just hedonism. It's also asceticism. Right. Right. I'm I'm that guy who's always shouting out my other podcast on Think Deeper. I'm shouting out Dogma on Dogma. I'm shouting out Think Deeper. We're in the middle of a three-episode arc on Think Deeper about sexuality because it's exactly that, like, ew, let's not talk about it. Uh, How Gnostic is that? Uh, And and the body really matters. In fact, on one of those episodes, I said, hey, we're going to talk about Gnosticism on dogma. So if you came here from that, hello, there's your crossover. I'm talking to people on on both fronts here. But the direction I want to go with it as well is, and this is something that I very much got caught up in, and the more I think about it, it's like, no, that's not right. Most of the climate change, environmentalism stuff today, stuff today is garbage. I mean, it's it's very clearly an agenda that's driven not by science. On the other hand, caring about the world itself, caring about the physical world, is not you know some liberal plant idea. It's it's God's world. This is my Father's world. It matters, and you know, clean water, not not throwing garbage out the window. I mean, stuff like that really matters, and. On top of that, not only that, but animals. Uh, Proverbs twelve ten talks about a righteous man caring for the life of his beast, and so how you treat animals and and these kind of things they matter. And, and I don't think there's any Christian that's like, ah, it's okay for me to beat my dog because the world doesn't matter. But you know, the environmentalism typically is very much driven by godless people. 
Whereas there should be a Bible-based care for the environment, care for animals. You know, this factory farming stuff that we have, the food that we eat, really is very inhumane. It's very bad for us, for them, everything else. And so this is stuff that Christians should care about. Even if you're not capitulating to to Greta Thunberg in the World Economic Forum, if you say, hey, the planet matters. Right. Well, it's 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 really a bad theology because... I think the underlying assumption is that because the world was cursed, then you know it's all going to go to craps anyways. So what does it matter? It, is, is that okay for me to say that? that but that but that's that is the thinking in this, right? It's it's all going to be it's okay. all going to be destroyed. The world share, is cursed. Uh, I got to share a brief story about that. We were on a Bear Valley campaign at Evergreen State University in Washington, Olympia, Washington arguably the most liberal university in America. I mean, these people were on another planet. And so we're trying to do student campus evangelism. And I was talking with this girl and she was, her big thing was the environment. I couldn't get her talking about religion because she just wanted to talk about the environment. And well, yeah, but God created this world. Yeah, and we've got to take care of it. We've got, I'm like, lady, I'm trying to tell you about Jesus, but she didn't. And I just got frustrated and said, I don't care. It's all going to burn. Where are you going to be on that day? And, I, you know, like I've a couple of my friends really like uh, ribbing me about that one. But in hindsight, I was wrong to a degree. Like this does well, matter. It, yeah, it, it does. And and the, the point that I want to bring out is, look, even though the world is cursed, and it, it is, right? Death exists, there are thorns and thistles, there's pain in childbirth, but God still, after the curse, God still told Adam, you need to go out and work. It's just now going to be harder. And then after the flood destroyed the world and they kind of, you know, there was kind of a new creation with Noah and his family, God gave them the same mandate again, go take dominion over the world. That is a That is central to the work of man on the earth. We have completely lost that. We, I, I've heard people yeah. say it doesn't matter if you have kids. It, we, the, I've heard people say that what you read in Genesis um, uh, two and three, and then over in Genesis nine, that does not apply to us now. That to me, that is completely inconsistent with the whole flow of the Bible. We, we, yeah, are, I mean, that's a part of what it means to be in the image of God. Is that we are yeah. kind of like small. How do you how do you say this? We, we are like God in the sense that we have dominion over something. God has dominion over us. We have dominion over animals and over the land. And it is cursed, but he still expects us to go make the best of it. And that is, that's looking forward to something um, ahead. And I, and the one thing I wanted to bring out is a lot of that, a lot of the character development and those things that I think we're um, doing right now in the midst of a cursed world, I think we're still going to be doing that. In the next life, I have a suspicion that I'm going mm. to do some gardening. It's just going to be a little easier than it is mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, and I think you know you see that. For example, again connecting it to our past podcast, you see that within the old covenant, God has laws about the land. You know, the Sabbath rest for the land. He has laws about. He there's a law in there. Just it's so random in Leviticus where he'll just randomly say, "Don't uh, boil a kid goat in his mother's milk." And you're like, what in the world? And I read passages, you know, I've read commentaries on that, you know, and years ago with like, well, because that was a pagan practice and they didn't want to. I'm like, there's an easy answer to this. You don't do that because it's cruel. It's evil. Like you don't, you don't, you don't cook a a child in its mother's milk. And that's even within the, and it, it, it really, like you go back and look at that. It's just so random dropped in the middle of nowhere, that law. And I think 
the whole point of that is if God knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, then he surely knows when we're doing cruel practices towards the animal life. Um, Just as long as it's okay so that I, we still cook chickens in their in their babies. Fried chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Battered with eggs. Um, yeah. So I think it's I, – I, I think there's something to that that we need to be a little bit more mindful of when it comes to – God's care, God, in fact, in the, even within the stories, like God tells, you look at the prophets, one of the things God calls it within the prophets, he calls Israel out for is he's like, you did not give the land its Sabbath rest. And he said, this is my land, right? This is my land. You look through numbers and Deuteronomy, he's, he calls it his land. It's his land. It's not Israel's land. It's his land that he is giving them as a stewardship. And that's why, by the way, that there are laws concerning um, who can inherit what land and how much land you can inherit and no monopolizing and stuff like that. So, you know, God is deeply concerned. And I think that you're seeing some more of that within the church. I, I do think that radical environmentalism that we see within the secular world is so wrongheaded. And by the way, that is what happens when you focus on the present natural physical order as the primary thing, rather than focusing on the spirit of God, the soul of man as central, right? So like, I think that you have, so for example, if I get my body in shape, right? If I get my body in shape, but my soul is not healthy and I'm not, in, I'm not reconciled to God, that's a pointless venture. Right. I mean, yeah, you might enjoy a few years of life, but it's not it's not gonna ultimately have any lasting value. Right. But if my soul is reconciled to God, and from that point I'm like, you know what, God's given me this body and he's blessed me with it. I want to do the best that I can with it. Right. Um, that's gonna have some lasting value. I'm I'm being a good student. I think God's gonna honor that. Like I think, for example, our bodies are one of the talents. You know, we talk about the parable of the talents. I think our bodies are one of the talents that God has given us. And I think he's going to honor that. Like if I do my best to steward my body in a way that honors God out of out of the virtue of self-control, which by the way is a fruit of the spirit, mm -hmm. then I think God's going to honor that. And we just talked about that the other day in our Bible class. You know, I said when 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 Paul says he tells us to the older men and the and the younger men in Titus 2, Self-control is a central value of the older man and the younger man in Titus 2. And I asked the church, I said, self-control over what? You know, and they kind of looked at me weird when I said that. I said, self-control over what? And they were, after a while, someone finally just said, everything? You know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because self-control is a virtue, which you can't just say, okay, well, I'm going to be self-controlled in this area of my life, but not this area of my life. Right. If you're not, if you're living a self-controlled life, it's going to impact everything, including your body. One of the things that I want to bring out that we haven't hit on yet is think about everything God has tasked us with doing right now. I mean, we're just us three men, what God has tasked us with doing, what he's tasked the Christian with doing, what he's tasked the church with doing. You, If you reject, if you're Gnostic in your view of the body and the world, you're not going to do any of that very effectively. I think about, I am called to defend, you know, this is, this is maybe um, an implication of it, maybe not the direct thing, but I'm called to defend my family. If I'm, mm -hmm. look, if I'm a fat slob, I'm not going to be able to defend them very effectively. 
right? If I'm, yeah. I, and if God commissions me to go into all the world, I'm not going to be able to go into all the world if I don't take care of my body. I, I'm not going to be able to, if I want to go over to, for example, I'm going to Africa um, uh, at the beginning, toward in the spring of this next year. If I'm going to walk several miles to a village, I'm not going to be able to do that if I haven't taken care of my body. Everything we're tasked with on this earth, producing, right? Defending the weak, going and and fulfilling the Great Commission. All of it requires that we be mindful of and take care of the body. If if we just do whatever we want with it, we're not going to be able to fulfill even the things God wants us to do right here and now. So just on that front, it breaks down. There's another aspect of this that people are really uncomfortable with this, but I think it's an important thing. And I, I think they acknowledge it in one degree and not to the other is aesthetics mean something. And when mm. on the positive side of this, when you say, hey, somebody who's, you know, again, in shape, well taken care of, well groomed, all that stuff, like they're worthy of more respect. We just naturally honor those people more and people get uncomfortable. Well, should we? But I'll tell you what, everyone agrees with this. When you turn on the news and there's some pink haired buzz cut woman from Antifa out there rioting and screaming in somebody's face, you go, that's ugly. You know, like right. uh, with Satan's influence makes the world uglier. And and you look at this even in architecture, like the more brutalist oh, a society, man. the uglier their architecture. But you look in like Europe at the height of Christendom and just the beauty that came out of that. And, and it reflects. And so when you talk about you walk into yes. a Christian home that's well kept with modest women, you know, sharp dressed, well put together men, not the I've got Chick-fil-A crumbs in the folds of my 400 pound, you know, spare tire. And I just I'm a slob. I don't iron my shirt and all this stuff. My house is a disaster, all that versus you walk into this home where everyone's well kept, everyone's cleaned, everyone's, uh, you know, they've got the garden growing in the backyard, all this stuff like the aesthetics say something about what's going on inside. And I think Again, that's a great point, man. We're so uncomfortable with that discussion to say, well, this isn't better than that. It is actually like it, it's a manifestation of something else that's happening. And so I think that uh, Gnosticism causes us to de-emphasize beauty in and of itself. And and I think that we have imbibed a utilitarian aspect in the church of, again, the physical doesn't matter. And therefore, we should do as little as possible. It's all about utility. And let me tell you, you see that in how we build our church buildings. Right. You know, I mean, our church buildings, I, I don't mean to be rude, but they're, the Church of Christ church buildings are some of the ugliest church buildings that you'll ever see because they're utilitarian, they're minimalist. Um, and I'm not, I don't want to get to the point to where we are expending extravagant amounts of money on a physical dwelling. I, I think that, that you have to be wise about your funds, but do you realize in the old Testament, whenever, for example, God is creating the garments for the high priest, do you know why he says he's doing that? Go back and look. He says, all he says is you're like, why are you making all this extravagance? Why are you making all this beauty? And, and all God says it's for glory and for beauty. That's all it is. Yeah. And it there are things that are that reflect the goodness of God within beauty. And you see this in how we build our buildings where it's just to me, it's a complete well, I'm getting on a soapbox here, but it's a complete denial of human nature to assume that it doesn't matter what kind of environment we have within the church, 
physically and within the building, that that doesn't affect your desire to worship in some way because it absolutely does. There's a reaction against Catholicism. I mean, they, they spent this, I mean, how many millions just on these huge buildings they took. That's what they took the money for. And they spent their money in those ways. And I think there's a reaction to that to say, look, that doesn't matter at all. But there is an important point about the aesthetics because you look into the creation itself. God could have made this world gray. He could have made mm-hmm. all flu- all food just slop that was really bland. God gave salt. He gave uh, you know this um, uh, tapestry of flavors. He gave a bunch of beautiful colors. He gave mountains and peaks and valleys, and he gave a number of designs within plants and beautiful colors and birds and animals. And all of those things ultimately are reflective of the glory of God, including the physical body. I would imagine when I look, when you think back to the very good Adam and Eve, what do you think those two looks like? Do you think that they were carrying around an additional 200 pounds when God made them in a very good way? No, no way. They were going to go out and they were going to be functional and they were going to fulfill God's command. And what you see today, as we, you know, the far, I think the far progression of it, I want to take the discussion here for a little bit, is um, who won woman of the year? Uh, what was it? Two years ago? It was a former Olympian. who was Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. Let, let's just call him Bruce. But yeah. He wins woman of the year. The other day I saw a pageant where, and this is. Oh, that was so did, bad. Did you see, did you see the pageant? I saw it. Yeah. It, I was saw some, it. it was some yes. local, I don't even know what the pageant was, but there was all these um, very nice looking young ladies. And then this like really fat boy who was dressed up like a girl and he won the pageant. Like we're, we're just lying to ourselves. You go into any store and <clears throat> again, we, we're even to the degree where we're we're pretending as though an objective standard of beauty doesn't exist. And mm-hmm. this so, is an outpouring of Gnosticism. There's the Dostoevsky quote, beauty will save the world. And, you know, you can say, oh, that's really shallow. But what he's getting at is beauty is an outward reflection of truth, all this stuff that we're talking about. And all that stuff, that, that ugliness is a denial of truth. You know, that when everyone, when when Bruce Jenner came out as Caitlyn, it was everyone had to like bow down and say, oh, so stunning and beautiful. And you're just looking, oh. it's the emperor's new clothes, right? You're looking like, what? No, he's, Are you serious? This is hideous. Mm-hmm. You know, but you're not allowed to say that. And when you're allowed to say it, beauty results because we can say this is right, this is good, and, and good comes out of that. And, and again, the aesthetic reflection of it. And so I, I wanted to go down that rabbit hole because it illustrates the point it's a very visual, real way that we're seeing that the denial of reality, because I think so much of this Gnostic thing, and we live in this time of VR and the metaverse and all this stuff, where you can put on that Oculus headset and spend an hour or whatever in another world walking around, and it's not really you, but you kind of have an avatar there. You have a body there, but it's not really you. And you know that you can, when you're done with the game, you're going to take that headset off and step out of it. And right. so anything that happens in there, it's not all that real. I think that's how a lot mm. of Christians are viewing the world is where we've strapped on mm. this human body. We're walking around right. it, but it's not really us. It's not really the real world. And so none of this stuff really matters. Whatever goes on in the game doesn't matter. It's not a game. It is real and it, it does matter. There's one other thing we need to get to before we get out of here. And that is that this is also a Trojan horse that is brought in to eliminate gender distinctions in the church uh, is... There, again, the same thing that leads the world to say, yeah, there's no such thing as a man or a woman. Functionally, the church 
adopts that. There's no such thing as a man or a woman in the pulpit, in the leadership, and in whatever else. And so over-spiritualizing leads us to deny the nature that we have. I've, I've said this before. I think I said it on our uh, episode about gender. Was a read a progressive guy on Facebook said, a mature Christian man and a mature Christian woman will be no different from one another. Right. That's Gnosticism. That's the Platonism Jacob brought up earlier, oh, that it's man. all spiritual and none of the physical. Right, and that even denies the fact that a, a man is a man to his very core and a woman is a woman to her very core. And that's irrespective of the bodily differences and the, the de- you know the genetic differences, which would produce you know different hor- or different hormones, um, different organs, and different features. It goes it goes to your core. We don't even understand that, so we're we're kind of denying the whole thing when we come to uh, we think you know Jesus Christ. There's no male, no female. But it doesn't mean that there's no male and female. It means sh- that woman next to you is going to be your co-heir, right? We're equal in Christ. Well, and like, I'm just trying to think out the implications of that. Like if you're connecting maturity with lack of gender distinctions, then I mean, imagine the, the psychological torture that is to think, oh, as a husband, if I'm feeling different than my wife, you know, if I'm wanting, for example, sex more than my wife is wanting it, that must be wrong of me, right? Because that's an immaturity in me, because that's a difference between me and her. Because really, if I was more mature in Christ, we we would be we would be more on the table with this. You know, we we would be more in line with I, I just can't think of the psychological you know, uh, hurdles that you have to go through to get to that point. And it's so destructive to deny the gender distinctions. And we've talked about that. But I think that, again, all of this is tied together. All of this is tied together because whenever you you dismiss the importance of the body, you're going to immediately dismiss the importance of biology. You're going to you're going to dismiss the importance of of gender and of sex and of all of these things. And that's why we have to have a full orbed uh, uh, distinction when it comes to this. I, I heard that shout out uh, last week, uh, Jack. and um, when you said full orbed and I actually dropped my weights uh, and shivering uh, whenever. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, I do want to say this, though, because I know we're going to be wrapping it up soon. You know, we've talked about weight and weight loss, and I know this isn't the time for that. And it might sound like we're being kind of cruel when it comes to describing those who are overweight. But let me say, at least for me and Jack, this isn't coming from a place of you know, uh, of inexperience. This is coming from a place of we have been obese. I know I I literally, like I said earlier, I've been obese. My whole I life. I've been in that yeah. mindset that doesn't care and that that is apathetic and that is sloppy. That is that was me. And I and I struggle with that every single day because it goes against how I thought for a long time. And so whenever we're talking about this, if you're listening to this podcast and you're sitting there looking at yourself, you're like, man, that's me. These guys are being kind of cruel or being kind of crass. We're saying that because we think that as men, we can talk to each other plainly and clearly. Um, and even to those who are women. Yeah. And we're saying that because we love you and we care about you. And sometimes, you know, the truth hurts. And sometimes uh, it's difficult to hear. Man, I have ha- I had some very painful things said to me when uh, I was overweight, that uh, it hurt, man. But they were some of the catalysts that drove me to get to where I needed to be. And I don't even think some of those things were set out of love. I think they were set out of just meanness. 
But I know that Jack and Daniel feel the same way. For those that are listening, we care about you, and we want your theology to be reflected in every aspect of your life. That's where the whole point of this podcast is where doctrine has dominion over all of life, and that's even including your health. That's including how you treat yourself and how you steward your diet and how you steward your body. Well, right. uh, so uh, with it, uh, everything we brought up, it's a denial of reality that God created us as physical beings with eyes, with the five senses, with with everything about it. And you'll see people apply this in, in the sense of, well, it shouldn't matter to a husband what his wife looks like. It shouldn't matter to a wife what her husband... Whether you think it should or shouldn't, that's an opinion. It does. Like these things, and, and so it shouldn't matter, as you brought up, you know, as 400-pound preachers. You know, I, I've been the large overweight preacher thing and you look back and think there's a hypocrisy to that and, and you can say oh it shouldn't matter it shouldn't matter it does it, it's again it's denying is, reality it's denying that there is a physical element to life that god created and everybody understands that before they get married right you put on your best front most yeah you look your best you do your best and then once you get married well now you snagged them and now they're and then it's like, all right, well, now we can we can just kind of do whatever we want. I think this is an important discussion. It is there is a degree to which, yeah, this isn't necessarily easy to talk about. But just because the church hasn't been talking about it for the past, what? I don't know, since the 50s, just because we haven't been talking about it doesn't mean that we shouldn't start the conversation. And the fact is, we all need to be making changes in these areas. Um, the the truth is, is a. Uh, is a refining fire and and none of us leave from it unscathed it, it's a... it's it it's something that um the, the word does and and i think again as ja or excuse me as jacob's pointing out the reason why we're doing this a big part of it is to kind of open all the cans of worms that for too long have just been <laughs> they've been closed up and nobody's been talking about them Yep. And our, our society, one thing I do want to say is it's interesting to me, the society as a whole, as terms of, in terms of like physical aesthetics is moving more in the direction of health. When I go to the grocery store, I see keto everything. So I do think society is moving that way. And so there's more and more people are understanding, look, what we do with our bodies is important, but <clears throat> the church a lot of times lags. I'm big on faithful and little, faithful and much, as Jesus told us. And, you know, you've been given dominion over very little. None of us, we're not presidents. We're not, like, running the world or anything like that. What we've got is ourselves, our spiritual, or our, I mean, our physical body, our spiritual life, our walk with God, and the little space around us, your house, your, you know, Jordan Peterson, the guy's made a billion dollars off telling people clean your room because it's taking control of the space around you. And so much of that is the physical world. Yeah, the spiritual right. matters, but... Uh, so uh, again with this outward thing if the uh, what jesus says if you wash the inside of the cup the outside becomes clean i think that matters aesthetically too if you are self-controlled internally it's going to come out externally if externally everyone can see you you have no self-control no discipline no dominion over yourself that tells you a lot about what's going on inside and so you know the the pharisee thing the the issue and jacob brought it up earlier where you can be so concerned about your physical fitness and, and all that that you don't get the spiritual. That That is that shining the outside of the cup. Don't do that. Get your spiritual walk with God right, and it's going to show outwardly. Right. And I, one thing yep. I do want to bring up toward the end here is that we be Christians, that we be men, that we be women who honor 
uh, those, you know, those <clears throat> there's beauty all around us in the world. We need to honor it and deal with it in a God glorifying way rather than taking advantage of it. Yeah. I think that being mindful of, again, just the intention behind why we're doing, you know, what we're doing is this again, playing out is, does this reflect what I really believe and what God teaches about the body and beauty and, um, you know, being mindful about what we're displaying to the world around us. And I think that that's perfectly fine to, to encourage and for us to teach, you know, and, um, how you put yourself together in public, you know, how you present yourself. Um, I, you talking about that earlier about, um, you know, we talked about respect when it comes to health. I had a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, a, a deacon who came up to me after a sermon once when I had lost some weight, it was years ago before I really got serious on my, my weight loss. And he said, I just want you to know, he said, take this as you will. But, um, whenever you look healthy in the pulpit. I don't know what it is, he said, but it's easier to accept what you're saying. Um, he said, there's more substance to what you say. Uh, and he said, especially when you talk on particular issues. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. You know, I mean, and he wasn't saying that he was going to reject it if a guy was overweight or something like that. He was just letting me know that he felt my my messages had more impact if people could tell from the outset that I was in control of myself and put together. So take yeah. take that for what you will. But As I think I said, that there's something, something to people that. People will do the. It shouldn't be that way. Well, okay. Deal with reality. Deal with the world as it is, not how you, you want it to be. Um, we covered a lot of territory here. Uh, this was really, really fascinating stuff to me. I uh, really appreciate you guys bringing it on this episode. Uh, we looked at some eschatology. We looked at uh, the resurrection. We looked at Genesis. We looked at the modern world. Um, I think the point I'm getting at is this Gnosticism and these tendencies impact everything because you live a physical life. You wake up in the morning a physical in a physical body. You go to sleep in one. Everything throughout the, your day is physical. Everything you see, everything around you, it matters. And and saying it doesn't matter, pushing it off as it's all going to burn, or the physical's bad, the spiritual's good, it doesn't. It's just an incomplete view of the world as God created it. And so, very interesting stuff. I believe we only have one episode left in the season. Is that correct? I think this is eleven. So we're uh, wow. trying to wrap up before the Christmas really? season. Really? Wow. Uh, it sure went quick. Uh, we are. Uh, got some ideas cooking for season two, uh, starting early next year. We'll kind of work that out and, and plan and schedule that. But, um, yeah, really great stuff. I'm glad we got to this one in this season. We'll have one more for you guys next week. And if there's nothing else, I guess we'll wrap right there. 